Welcome to the UXperts podcast. I'm Jason Moore alongside Effie Richel. And we're, uh, we're going to be jumping into part three of Marty Kagan's book, Inspired, How to Create Tech Products Customers Love. Right. And, and regardless of the size company you're a part of, even if you're a solopreneur, being able to follow kind of this manifesto in the right ways that we can build great products. Mm-hmm. And as Effie and I have shared in, in part two and part one, mm-hmm. some of the wrong ways that we've seen both ourselves create products, mistakes we've made, as well as times and companies we've been a part of that have been incredibly successful. And I will say that anyone that has experienced that success has some amount of this recipe in this book applied to what it is they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it, it was, what was interesting for me reading this, this part of the, the book, uh, was, was really realizing that it applies to three different areas of my life of my, my, the things that I worked toward, of course, my professional career in an enterprise sized company, uh, where a lot of this kind of is, is exactly tit for tat. But then also on this side work I do in the nonprofit sector and really thinking, how do we get this thing into a shape that it really gets used and it can start paying for itself? And then thinking of myself as an author as well, like, right. how do I scale and grow my author business? I mean, it's interesting how this particular section made me think about all three. And yeah. it's, it's definitely relevant to a lot of different kinds of industries and fields. Absolutely. I, I think that's absolutely on spot. And I think we can apply these principles to so many different areas of our life. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I even have thought about the way some people might apply, you know, product roadmaps and planning an organization, really thinking about what the outcome looks like. I mean, it could apply from anywhere from like you mentioned nonprofits, but it could apply to your exercise routine. I mean, if you know well, that- what you want your outcome to look like, these are really just a set of principles and organizational tools that allow you to go after and achieve that particular goal. And, and whether you're for-profit or non-profit, we still want to make a good, I mean, I think even more for a non-profit, a really good experience that customers are satisfied with because yeah. the, the risk is much, much higher versus an enterprise company that can kind of um, maybe maybe put in half the effort uh, to, to meet their customers' needs for you know several years. Absolutely. Well, and, and yeah, like in my personal life, I mean, there was a book, uh, it'll come to the name will come to me later, but it's something about five years mm-hmm. and it's kind of like what it just had a lot of great inspirational stories and ideas of like, what are you going to be doing five years from now? Right. Because five years, a lot of people have done a lot of stuff yeah. in their lives or changed the world or whatever. Just really gets you dreaming like, okay, if I have the right vision for my own personal life, that can make a difference. Great, great call out. And I think at the end of the day, if we're really saying we have this many examples of people who are organized, who write these things down, who strategically go after not checking the boxes, but these different things that they need to accomplish in order to, to be successful. Why wouldn't that apply to the product space? I mean, it would absolutely apply. So yeah. again, this yeah. isn't rocket science. Like these yeah. are just very tactical things to do written through the lens of working in a product organization. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, we talked a lot about triads and, and those kinds of things, but I was laughing as we jumped into to, uh, kind of area three on what we were going to go over today. And, you know, I hadn't gone through this book in probably a little over a year, but then right out of the gate, you know, part three, the first chapter he dives into is let's talk about the problems with product roadmaps. Boom. That's right. <laughs> so and, and- obviously he's not saying they're perfect. They're, they're not. And he kind of says, you can even ditch a, a roadmap right. if you want, right? which I kind of think there's some strength to that mm-hmm. um, because they are, they're flawed. And the reason they're flawed is 
you know, as he says, you, half of half of the product launches are just not going to be successful. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of reasons, you know. Right. Um, I think he, he had four, I think, in there. But basically, it might not be usable. It might not be feasible. It might yep. not be, you know, business ways viable. Or it may just not have been the right. It needs iterations to get it perfect, right? Like, so the time to money is not there. And so there's a lot of reasons that as soon as you say, oh, we're going to do this date we're going to commit, we're going to build this thing by this date. And that's our roadmap. That, yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah, I, yeah I, I think there are times and teams I've been a part of where I think you were right. Talking about the value, the usability, the feasibility. Again, those are all core triad uh, philosophies that each each person on that team. So if you need a refresher on the right people for your product org, go back and, and listen to part two uh, where we covered those particular aspects. But um, you're right. And I think when it comes down to the date and I'm going to butcher this metaphor, but I was thinking about the engineering metaphor of, you know, we can really build anything at the end of the day. It really comes down to time, money, and resources. Right. And if you don't have a lot of time, but you have a lot of resources, then that will affect what you're going to do. And we, again, we're not going to go too far down the right people, but if you don't have any money, um, and you're short on time, then that triangle is kind of like out of balance and you need to, you need to adjust what it is that you're focused on in order to, to hit either your first entry point into the market or, or a new release. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember gosh, back in the day I was, when I was running my own little business, uh, there was a guy who, who was in my, my industry, you know, like building websites, whatever. Right. He would say, you know, you get two out of the three, which of the two you want? It's, right. it was like, you get it fast. You can get it affordable or you can get a high quality. Right. And like, which, which of the two do you want? Right. You know, like, and, and, you know, you had to realize, all right, you know. Yeah. I mean, if you yes. want it really fast, I mean, it's probably going to come at the cost of quality. Yeah. Um, unless you have an army of, you know, people who don't need ramp up time and can yes. just go, go crazy. I think that's absolutely appropriate. And, and again, cause you said that too. And I'm like, oh, well, most clients are going to say, you know, especially in the in the freelance world or the contract world, why well, I, I want it quick and I want it high quality. And it's like, well, this, oh, you just pay more. <laughs> you can't yeah. you can't have all three. <laughs> yeah, you know what comes to mind too? You remember the, the satirical uh, site uh, clientsfromhell.net, uh, oh. unofficial call out, but just the absolute horror horror stories of yeah. you know maybe not the most well intentioned designers working with clients and. And just the most absurd things that, you know, will come up as a request, like yeah. just taking for granted, you know, and you think about that now going into the software space, designing quality experiences for people and, and how quickly that can get derailed. But uh, I always found those to be quite therapeutic, especially when I was having a rough day. Because I could, I could read like the first five and I'd be like, okay, it's not so bad. I actually, I don't feel so bad about how this project's going right now. Read about someone else's pain and you go, oh, I don't know. I mean, that does create some empathy, right? <laughs> That's right. It's like, okay, I'm not the only one having a rough go right now. <laughs> but yeah, I think Mark, you know, Marty comes in, you know, again, with a very strong point on, you know, we do need to be about high integrity commitments. Um, we can maybe discuss whether or not we should assign a timeline to that. Mm -hmm. um, I think the, and, and again, I always try to put myself in, in, the, in the business leader's needs. I mean, we're all leaders, but... I'm gonna I'm gonna be acting more like a UX leader, a business leader, a C-suite executive. Really, at the end of the day, I don't think necessarily wants to put us under the pressure of that 
extreme deadline, if it's not going to get them exactly what they're looking for, they just want to know things are moving. And so again, if you're you're in a situation with your company where it's like, man, we just keep getting all these deadlines and we're not, you know, going down the right path, et cetera. I would just really encourage you, like, take a step back and understand, like, what is the problem the business leader is trying to solve at the end of the day that's causing either he or she to apply what could be, you know, unfair or rigid deadlines to what's being done. Right. Because I, you know, at the end of the day, I don't, I, I've yet to meet anybody at any company who wakes up in the morning and starts their day and says, you know what I'm going to do today? Completely disrupt this organization with a bad outcome. You know, like, I don't think people of course, still yeah. about their lives. Of course. Like, of course. Yeah. Well, I love his quote where he says, uh, mention the word commitments and you get reactions ranging from squirming to denial. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because, because the reality is, is uh, unless you, you know, are far along in the process and you know exactly what's going to be built, right? You can't, it's hard to put a date on that. You don't right. know what, what you don't know. And right. so I think, you know, roadmaps, I, I don't mind having kind of this approach of like, generally we're, we're heading toward this, you know, uh, you know, outcome, Yep. but to say we're delivering this feature by this date, that that's going to, that's going to lead to problems. Right. And, and, and the trick the the nuance of this and we'll get into uh product evangelization a little bit later but the 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 trick there is is okay you know marketing has to set up certain programs to announce a big thing going out product marketing has to figure out the positioning and the and the collateral that's needed to you know be ready in the marketplace or maybe there's an upcoming review with a you know forester or gardener or a company who's going to want to look deeply at what you're doing as a business I get that we need to give some idea of what's going on, but I'm curious from your perspective, Effie, you know, you, I don't think I'm against product roadmaps either, mm. but how do you think about product roadmaps one quarter out? And I'm not trying to give you too much of a softball here. <laughs> product roadmaps one quarter out versus that product roadmap 18 to 24 months out. Like what? Yeah. I, I mean, what? my personal opinion is if you can have things outcome driven uh-huh. and yeah, you've got your idea of what your features are. And maybe you, you even do have things on there that you say, this is what we're heading toward. Right. But I always, always, always have have seen these roadmaps get pushed out farther. Right. Uh, it, I've, I've just never seen them actually stick to these dates when you start going to a year. And the one I liked it, you know, I liked kind of like, we worked with the guy uh, years ago who said, you know, the, the commitments for this quarter, and they, these were all kind of objective commitments. Mm-hmm. They were, uh, we're, we've got outcome outcomes that are the commitments, not necessarily like deliver, deliver feature deliverables. The outcomes for this quarter, 90% right. confidence. Right. And then the next quarter, he had 70% confidence. Right. And then the next quarter and beyond, it was like 40% confidence. And, and I think I really liked just seeing that on there because it made me go, ah, Here's somebody who understands that right. we're not, we don't know what we don't know. It's a little blurry the farther out we look. Yeah, when we start going that far, we don't know if we're going to now like completely revamp something because we realized it wasn't feasible halfway through. Right. Or, you know, through development. Or we've shipped it and it hasn't had any, you know, use. And we have right. to go, why is this not getting used? Right. Rather than moving on to the next don't move on to the next thing like, like fix fix what you got you know and this is this is the problem you know my current company is we're there's a lot of teams who are shipping things right and then moving on and these things aren't getting adopted and so we have to say whoa 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 let's finish the job finishing yeah. the job means us getting it adopted and that's right 
that is a less rigid commitment to the roadmap. So that's, that's my feeling. I don't know what yours, you know, yeah. your thoughts are on it. No, I, I think that was well said. I, I do think the next quarter has to be absolutely founded on high integrity commitments. Yeah. Um, I've been in situations where, you know, I've seen quarterly roadmaps where there's, there's 85 things, 85 outputs that we're going to achieve that at the end of the day, if we do these 85 things, somehow we're going to be, you know, a leader in the, in the marketplace. Um, the problem was after the first, you know, few quarters, uh, we would maybe do three. <laughs> now for a number of reasons, things we couldn't control, yeah. things we could control and didn't, and you know, the response of the market space. So like, yeah. you know, okay, what are things that are outside of our control? I don't know. I mean, as we sit here today, think back five years ago, okay, what we were doing, yeah, how different life looked, both you know, professionally, mm -hmm. personally, etc. Not to mention all the you know societal fun that we've been having, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, moving up to this part. So maybe your company acquires some new technology. Maybe you get acquired. Yeah. You know, so I think what you were saying that I really like a lot is, yeah, the farther out you go the more of a narrative you're providing and the less of the the tactical plan on how you're going to get that stuff done yeah. is so key. Well, I think I think your example is great. Like, let's think about how AI has just completely turned like tech on its head this year uh, with the strides that it's it's got. Like, you know, I could literally tell the free chat GPT tool yep. without paying, I can say, hey, what are the fields that you would need for this industry to fill out a form? Okay, here's the field. Okay, here's some general information um, about this person. Can you fill out this form? Boom, it will fill out that form. I mean, that's just like, just text. But like some of the, the new stuff that's coming in, like there's now services. That, you know, I was just looking at this new innovation where it can take like a stack of like your documents, you know, your passport and your, mm -hmm. and your you know, whatever, your home, whatever, and just fill out a bunch of forms for you. Right. I mean, this is like AI is turning things on it. So now, now imagine... You know, we've got our roadmaps and we're going to build this feature, then that feature, then this feature. And we've got three years planned out. It's like when AI comes in and disrupts and you're going to ignore it. Even a year ago. Imagine you had that same plan one year ago. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you get, I mean, earlier this week, right, we saw the news of, uh, I'm going to probably use the wrong term here, but the, the chat GBT marketplace. And I remember waking up the next morning. I was like, okay, I'm, you know, let's wait and see how this goes. And I'm not really sure. I woke up the next morning and, you know, different social feeds were littered with, look what I built last night. And all of a sudden now there's hundreds of these applications that are using, you know, a technology that we obviously didn't even really probably consider 12, definitely 24 months ago. It was completely, mm -hmm. unless you were involved somehow with the project. Well, you know, we even considering it. I was involved. That's the thing. Yeah. I was involved with some AI, even as many as, as five years ago, like you're saying five years, but it was really not. This very is robust it was not this robust and powerful so you know my, my point being like unless you're an outcome driven company right you're not you're just going to stick to your roadmap and you're going to miss out and you're going to become pass a you're going to lose you know you're going to be so short-sighted on the goal that you're going after and i think the other danger too so emerging technology 100 you know you can't plan for that that's just a known unknown yeah. right yeah. like we know technology is going to get better and we have to be ready to adapt I think the other one that I see companies get tripped up on when they get that tunnel vision on their roadmaps, doing the thing that the competitor has. Oh, gosh, yeah. And if you get <laughs> yourself caught into, oh, we'll talk a little bit about when we get to the product vision later in this, in part three. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. You know, the company 
that chases their competitor, I mean, just like remove yourself from the situation, look at it and, and realize we'll never become a leader in the industry because they're going to be, that's all they're going to be doing is chasing. watching to see what the conversation does. Yeah, you've got to leapfrog. You've got to go beyond. And the way to do that is to build something UX-wise that's a simpler, more elegant, straightforward approach. You will never get there following their model. Me too. Andrews. And and what happens with any of these companies as they've grown, every single one of them, is they get feature bloat, mm -hmm. right? This is a thing. Marty Kagan does not write about this, but this is a UX podcast, so <laughs> yeah. are. But every, every single product gets bloated with too much stuff and it gets slower, it gets more cumbersome, mm -hmm. it's less simple to use. And what what is always needed next in the industry is a rethink to say, we've got new technologies, new ways of doing this. Let's have a rethink and come at this with fresh eyes. So I had this great fun uh, session with these these guys earlier this year where we said, let's, let's dream right. with AI, what could we do to rethink our product? And we came up with some ideas that were so elegant, so simple. And in fact, they had all the functionality that a user would need for like 80 or 90% of its right. job. Right. And it's like, we could offer this as a standalone product. Right. And sure, yeah, if you need to do that last 20%, you can still go back and use the old product. But like, my gosh, you know, to have that kind of a streamlined, faster, more intuitive, and way more robust product, like, right. Yeah, that's how you take on the industry. But again, you're not doing that by just trying to catch up to a competitor or trying to like stick to a roadmap or like, okay, we well now we need this feature, now we need that feature. Right. Like you've got to be innovative. You've got to be ready to say, let's be outcome oriented, not output oriented. Yeah, those concept car ideas that, that I hear you kind of describing, you know, again, concept car would be a, a finite amount of time, a team of various people are going to set aside to, to do that dream big. Mm -hmm. um, experiment and you know skunk works would be another one uh, another type of label that we would apply to it but they it is good and i think another really good question especially for we called it a design a thought oh did you yeah that's yeah, that's a mouthful <laughs> <laughs> you know, design yeah. a thought that's only four syllables a lot, like, of, a lot of hyphens in that <laughs> but um, i think you know i think the other thing i've seen work in the past too especially with companies that have you know a mature offering let's say in the marketplace, somewhere in the top three spots for, you know, up to five years is to have the conversation of, if we were to start this company over again today, would we be doing the same exact thing that we're doing now? Yeah. Which is yeah. kind of what sounds like what you were able to kind of unpack. Mm -hmm. Okay. We can't just keep bolting features onto this thing. What if we did something different? Like what if it was a complete paradigm shift? And I think those are really not only like professionally satisfying, but um, very healthy exercises to go through. Yeah, absolutely. So as as Marty starts off, you know, uh, quote unquote, guns blazing on the problem with product roadmaps, he, he then follows up in the next chapter with, okay, well, what what what's the alternative to roadmaps? Yeah, this might have you thinking as a listener if you haven't gone through this book yet. Whoa, what are you talking about? No product roadmaps like. That is the canon. Like that's the gospel for the product dork. And, you know, while he doesn't necessarily throw, you know, the baby out with the bathwater here, he does start to talk a lot more about something that Effie and I hinted to earlier, which is you got to be focused on the outcome over the output um, because there will be some things that maybe won't require as much output, but absolutely solve a critical business need 
that meets the goals of what the org has set up. Yeah. Yeah, it's business results rather than product ideas. That's right. Exactly. And going back to his very first uh, example at HP, you know, they built this really amazing thing that I'm sure they were all very proud of. And, uh, you know, he, as he points out, but the, the one problem was nobody bought it. And so, um, tell me about it then. Really, at the end of the day, if you were to jump straight to, you know, the middle of part three on the alternative roadmaps, uh, Marty is certainly not advocating that there isn't some form of a, a document that describes where the particular product org needs to go. Um, but he's really just talking about thinking about changing. I always use this metaphor of like, we're in a, we're all in a stadium and we're all watching the game that's happening on the field, whether, you know, traditional football or American football. And, and that, and that game that's playing is your company's life. It's the day in and day out cadences of whether you're going to win or lose. And, and depending on what your role in the company is, I always like to think that you're at a different seat in the stadium. Mm -hmm. And so what I took out of this particular um, chapter, when he starts talking about the alternatives is sometimes we have to get out of the product section or the UX section, and maybe we have to put ourselves in the finance area of the stadium and we need to watch that same game. And we need to understand that we're all here to deliver business value that, you know, sometimes I think we can get maybe a little caught up on our own talents or whatever we bring to the table, the, you know, the pretty, pretty feature that we designed that doesn't actually solve the real problem. Um, or sometimes we have to put our, ourselves into the seat of customer success. You know, those uh, men and women who are frontline supporting the users day in and day out on the phone. And maybe we need to sit in their seat for a little while and watch that same game. And, and really the point being is, is that the more that we change seats and we have empathy for the different parts that are moving this game forward, which is the game of you know winning you know, companies, mm -hmm. that gives us that different perspective. So we're not just saying, well, it's on the product roadmap, we should go do it. To your point, rightly said, we need to be thinking about the outcomes of how this is gonna drive the business. And that may mean that thing that I think we should be going after right now, we can put that up on the shelf, you know, uh, indefinitely. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then, you know, we talked, we've talked before about like you, you get these huge product backlogs, you know, and, and, and that's, that's a part of this bloat, right? Like your product gets right. more and more cumbersome over time. And there's more and more stuff that you've got to address, add, fix, whatever it, all that's valid and necessary. But at some point you have to say, all right, when are we going to start innovating here? When are we going to start like getting beyond this backlog? Yeah. And so, I mean, it, it's a tension. I don't, I wouldn't say any, any of this is clear cut. I, I wish there was a silver bullet answer, but I think every stage of every company in every industry, where you're going to have to be really tuned in and and aware of what is the product vision you're heading toward. And I think that's sure. probably a good segue to the next section of the this, vision. Of the vision, the product vision. Yeah. Um, because he makes a compelling case that this this product vision is the key that driver, and that's going to hold all of this together, all these teams. Um, you know, large and small companies, right. um, you know, for physical products, maybe it's five to 10 years, but for software, you're looking two to five. Right. And you're, you're basically saying, okay, what is this, this, what is the story? What is the kind of the vision of where we're headed here? So, well, and the, and, the, and again, he starts, starts again, pretty aggressively right out of the gate, talking about the difference between a product vision, some of the characteristics that it needs to include. But also pointing out that it's not like the product vision, whatever that 
tangible asset or resource that you can give to the rest of the organization to talk about where the company is going is not meant to replace a, a mission statement. And he, he actually calls this out and says, quote, mission statements are useful, but they don't say anything about how we plan on accomplishing that, right? It's an idea. He continues with, that's what the product vision is for. The product vision should complement what your mission statement is for your company, whether for-profit or non-profit, but it's not meant to replace. And again, I think that's a real danger because you know, if, if, you're, if your goal is to produce a technology or service that impacts people by doing X and Y, well, that better be bound up in the company's mission statement of we exist to, you know, do this positive impact or have this positive impact on, on our users. Yeah. And so there, I, to me, two sides of the same coin, um, you know, you have your mission statement, you have your values, all of that's bound up there, which is how we agree to work on a team together. Mm -hmm. And then you have the product vision that really says, and where are we going? Yeah. Where are we going and why? So I think, um, in the next chapter, we're on chapter 24 right now. When we get to 25, we'll get into some of the, I think, the principles, uh -huh. which I think is is my favorite chapter in this section. Um, but before that, he, he really says, like, the difference, like, what the vision is, is this strategy, right? Like, right. Um, or, or sorry, it's the vision is different than the strategy. The vision will lead to this, this product strategy. So mm -hmm. um, he kind of thinks of the vision as being like the good leadership and the strategy being the good management. Like okay. the the vision is what inspires this direction and then the management or the strategy, that is how you get there. And so, right. y y you know, you don't come up with this product roadmap uh, unless you have a solid vision that, that you know where you're headed. Right. Um, well, yeah, because it, as we were talking about, you know, fungible engineering teams working on the right things at the right time, if I don't know where we're going, then you know, we're really going to work on whatever I come up with me as a, as a leader, yeah. that particular week or that particular quarter, which means maybe I'm actually blocking Effie uh -huh. from moving the needle on a real outcome that would help the business move forward. And so that vision is the, the set of blueprints that helps us understand, like not necessarily how we get there, but it definitely points us in the direction of where we're going. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. So let's jump into the principle. Yeah, this is my favorite. I was, I was like, no, chomping at the bit. I'm like, we're going to Let's go. Wait, wait, wait. Is it chomping at the bit or champing? Because the it's, actual. I think it's chomping. Well, chomping is what people say today, but the roots of this is champing, champing at the bit. Champing. Yeah. Like a champion? No, no, it's a word, champ. So the horse would champ at the bit if they're trying to go faster. Yeah. But they'd chomp it if they're just sitting here and they're chomping on their oats and barley and they're, well, I don't even want to know why you know that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that, right. There was a young uh, peppy yeah. product designer in our world who called oh, oh, and corrected, and that corrected me, and and yeah. so ever since I've now been corrected. And I saw, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm not going to use the exact terminology, but I, I did see a funny meme that came across my feed this week, and basically it was a person that it was on, uh, it was on like a Reddit or something, and it, it was basically just a screenshot. It was, um, you know, this person won the internet hashtag whatever, but it said, um, you know, I'm. I'm curious, is it, is it for, for F sync or, you know, FFS? And they were trying to understand without being crude on the podcast, what version they would use. So chopping at the bit, champing at the bit. Uh -huh. and, and then, so they said, is it, is it this, you know, uh -huh. this plus, you know, cuss word sake, or is it, is it plural? Uh -huh. And then at the end he says, I'm trying to use it for a business email. So I'd appreciate, <laughs> I'd appreciate being correct. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is well, 
That's hilarious. I think I think this is one of those those sayings that you just gotta let it let it be what it becomes. Because I think like yeah. for example, it's coming down the pike. Yeah. Like I think that is coming down the pike, you know, that was a saying because of the turnpike sure. out like Massachusetts. But now we say coming down the pipe because people out here like in Montana, we don't have a pike. Like what is a pike? A pike's a fish, right? Yes. So it's like there's nothing. I also don't think I would ever choose to say that anyway. But uh, oh, I say it all the time. Like, yeah, this is coming down the pipe. Yeah. But I say pipe. But if you look it up online, like both are now acceptable. Like yeah, yeah. Because yeah. plumbing, you know, it's coming down the pipe. <laughs> Hopefully, or you got a problem. Well, if it's too cold, yeah, That's it's right. really frozen. That's all right. Product, principles of product vision. So there's ten of these. Yeah. Number one is start with why. Which yes. uh, I don't know if you've read that book, Simon Sinek. Um, I got through part of it, but I was like, all right, he's repeating himself over. But it's a brilliant concept. Yeah. Uh, and he's got a great... Uh, What's the book name? Oh, start with why. <laughs> oh, is it? That's the name the, of the book? The name of the book is 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 his first principle. Yeah. Um, but he's got a great uh, TED Talk, you got like 10 minute, you can okay. watch on it. I think really just, just saying like, you know, you're, you're a lot of these companies are starting with what? Yeah. Uh, it's like... We need to release... We have to release X. Yeah. We need to be competitor B and um and so it's kind of like you know y- your purpose is what's most important right I think starting there and I, I'm not I won't go into too much detail but I did I really do appreciate uh, his talk on it mm-hmm. um his book like I said about three three four chapters is probably all you need on this I mean I'm gonna I think I'm gonna binge watch the TED talk and uh skip the book binge watch the TED talk <laughs> <laughs> no hopefully it keeps my attention I know he will no it's yeah. great it's a great it really gets you thinking. I mean, it got me out buying the book too. I mean, yeah. which, uh, you know, some of you, I'm shoot me down. I didn't finish it. If it's bad, you know, you give me oh, a like, okay. But, uh, <laughs> loose, but no, it's, loose, loose review for Matthew on that. But sorry guys, but, but to start with the why, I mean, that that's not just a product principle either. That that's a life principle. Oh, right? that, You've ever tried to that, lead a group of people to get something uh, done, including maybe your kids. And you're just like, Oh, go do this thing. And like, they don't really get the why. Uh, but good luck. Good luck. So maybe if Effie explained the why behind why we should read this book, we would actually complete it. But at this point, uh, he's, he's already lost me. He's already lost me on this. I could tell my kids, would you put the, could you clean up the kitchen, please? They understand the why already intrinsically. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we want to play it off. But if I told them, hey, could you like go, um, you know, pluck, pluck the, you know, do something with the lawn right now. It's Montana in late, like November. Right. Like, no. There's nothing to do you're gonna do with the lawn at this point. Like yeah. the snow's coming. Like that's right. <laughs> they would look at me and go, What are you crazy, Dad? Like what yeah. why? Yeah. They would ask the question. Right. They wouldn't understand. And you yeah. So so again, not just product, but you know, if you're a UX leader, a product leader, engineering leader, you know, uh, I think Jay would definitely agree with us. Um, you know, you always have to explain the why because otherwise you could get a poor result, poor effort, missed expectation on the outcome. Uh so very, very and, easy to do. And I think, you know, in that one, at least the second principle, and I, yep. and I would say that actually, I feel like I, I try to communicate these things every time I'm, I'm, I'm communicating a longer message to people. I communicate why I'm talking about it, right. why this is important. And the second one is like falling, falling in love with the problem, not the right. solution. I think like recognize that, that that's, that's your place to start the pain point, right? The, the problem you're solving mm-hmm. because that, you know, one of the things that, you know, I've learned over the years is my solution ideas sometimes are not the right ideas, right. are not the right solutions. And and to have that sense of humility and go, and there's a lot of ways to skin a cat, to use another idiom, 
Uh, I'm pretty sure that's still skin and cat. <laughs> yeah. Except we don't skin cat. We don't skin cats. Yeah. Uh, not in, not in Montana anyway. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, there's a lot of ways to, to solve stuff. Right. Right. So, but I do, I do like that idea of just starting with that pain point and the why, you know, why are we doing this? Well, and the other, and the other thing that I think comes from a point of humility, if Effie and I are working on particular solutions, and at the end of the day, I don't really, I'm not going to say don't care, but I don't find like my value in the particular solution. I find it in solving the actual pain point of the problem. Now, all of a sudden, I'm completely free to do a share out or get a critique from Effie or someone else on the team and say, you know what? That is better. And we are doing a better job of solving this particular problem because I'm not so caught up in the solutioning of whatever it is that I'm bringing to the table. So again, you know, that has to come from a point of humility. Humility and uh, addressing your own feeling of imposter syndrome, because I think people with imposter syndrome, they, they come at it and feel like, oh, I've got to look good. Right. I've got this title or whatever. And mm -hmm. people are looking at me like I should have it all perfect. Mm -hmm. And then to go, yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. That's right. I think one of the things I loved was uh, one guy that you and I both worked with back in the day. He would he'd come up with some brilliant UX vision prototype, and he'd say, "Here's a straw man. I just gonna put it out there to to see get yeah. some feedback, throw some darts at it." I loved it that the way he would just say, "Here's a straw man." I love. I started using that that phrase afterwards. So I was like, "Yeah, it's a brilliant approach." It's like I'm not married to this. Here's a straw man. Yeah, yeah. I've poured I've poured hours and hours and hours and hours of this thing. Prove it wrong. Prove it wrong. Right. Poke holes in it. Let's let's take it apart together. Yes, yeah, such a great approach. You know, yeah, and I, I think you're right. And again, wrapping up on that imposter syndrome and humility, you know, fact. If at the end of the day, people are secure and feel uh, valued as a team member, and they understand the why, then they're going to realize that hey, you know what? It doesn't matter if I'm zero for three on you know my recent ideas because we're winning, and yeah. none of these. None of these projects, unless you're a company of one, are are a, they're not ever completed any longer by one person. It is a team of people. It needs to be researchers and content and product experts and all the engineers and and so you know at the end of the day, there really isn't any idea that's going to come from me all the way from even a vision all the way to market release. It's going to need other people to step in. Well, and and I think. You know, he, he talks about these principles and I think you, you've given me a segue to the one thing that he didn't call it, which is that this should not be created in a vacuum. Correct. And he didn't, he didn't actually make that one of his 10 principles, but I think that's, that's really important. You know, this vision needs to be vetted, talked mm -hmm. about, changed, right? It needs to be a community event. I mean, yeah, you know, you come up with it, but like there's, it's got to have, like, how do you do it? I think he does talk about this. I'm looking at number five. So we'll get there. Let's go through three and four real quick, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then we'll spoiler alert. Keep keep our listeners' attention. <laughs> so he talks about you know the vision. It needs to be ambitious. Don't be afraid to think big. Yeah. I mean, you know, we we have certain entrepreneurs right now, whether popular or not, that are landing rockets on floating barges in the middle of the ocean, and saying things like, "I want to colonize Mars." I don't particularly have any interest in living in Mars, but. That's it. That's a hell of a vision. And he's obviously thinking pretty big about it. So all the way to one side of the, of the, the paradigm with that example, but yeah, you're, you know, don't just think about, well, we're going to help a user do X. That's very short-sighted. Mm -hmm. 
be big, be ambitious about it. You know, think about in 20 years. And again, I use concept cars as uh, my design-a-thon uh, metaphor. But um, yeah, there's a reason why concept cars are what they are. They're meant to help people dream big. And yeah, maybe yeah. they'll get the flying car at the end of the day. But look at all the innovations that are coming for it. I saw, you know, commercial the other day with Honda talking about its EV goals. And that wasn't of particular interest to me. But at the end of the commercial, they kind of left off with this like vision, which we don't ever expect to see what they showed on the screen. But it was like this idea of like your next Honda is going to be made from your old Honda mm -hmm. and that we're going to give you a platform and those parts are going to bolt on together and, oh, and, and you might yeah. need a new engine and we're just going to bolt on that new engine. And yeah. And yeah. I'm like, wow, I'm like, their, you know, into the car. Yeah. Who hasn't had a car that they absolutely loved and for whatever reason, family growth, uh, emergency needed money, whatever. And you're like, oh man, I had to get rid of that car. Like I really love that thing. So for Honda to paint a picture, a vision of saying, yeah. we want to give you a platform. So if you actually really dig this car that you have, we're just going to continue to improve it and give you some enhancements. And sometimes we're going to swap some things out, but yeah. it's going to be your car. It's like, oh. Yeah. So yeah, Time Magazine actually just put out their uh, 200 top innovations of 2023, which... 200? It's 200, yeah. I've, I've Is this podcast in it? <laughs> <laughs> it should have been. There's a flying car. Okay. That looks like it could get parked in a garage. Uh-huh. Um, and it's like, there's some legitimate stuff. There's a personal helicopter, you know, there's okay. Okay. a lot of them. The ones that, for, you know, geeked me out were like AI. Yeah. A lot of really oh, nice yeah. AI. It's going to be cute. And I've used a lot of them, like Photoshop. Mm -hmm. They're generative. Yep. Like I've taken like photo or, you know, photo, whatever, and increased the boundary of, of the edge. Yeah. And you know, their whole content aware thing before this year, mm -hmm. it was adequate. It was kind of whatever. It just kind of kept going. Kind of was pixel magic. Mm -hmm. Now it's generative. Like it's reading the landscape or the, the context. Yeah. Going, huh, I think it could be this. Or, and this Photoshop doesn't do this for them, but there's another one that uh, if you have a photograph of, of, of a situation, but you have a couple other photos from different angles, yep. you could literally pop it in and it'll it'll do an accurate like you can, you know, enlarge the size and you can actually start creating 3D images of these things. Which... Uh, 100%. Yeah, I, th <laughs> I, think it, I think we're seeing some really cool stuff come yeah, out yeah. From, from Adobe and hopefully, uh, since all the Adobe people are listening to our episode, they start getting a little more aggressive in their AI treatment with Figma and some of the stuff that uh, uh, opportunities we can leave out with there. <laughs> um, Number four. Huh? Yeah. So we talked about this. Don't be afraid to disrupt yourselves uh, because if you don't, someone else will. Right, the idea of chasing your competition, and maybe not always going after that me too feature. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then five, number five, the vacuum, needing to inspire. The, the vision needs to inspire. Yeah, I mean, I I still didn't I didn't read this as being collaborative to create the vision, but absolutely, it is creating passion within right. the organization. So yeah, it, help, it helps everyone understand their place in in that stadium watching the game of our company winning in the marketplace right, right, right. and and you know again that kind of support supports by the y2 so yeah um yeah so it's like c6 uh, is determined and embrace relevant and meaningful trends that's what we're talking about earlier right ai is huge right now well, and in in talking about these innovations so what i did actually i was um mm -hmm. i recently had you know large a large group and i said to them look like innovation, if you've ever read the, the Medici Effect, great book. Mm -hmm. I read it covered. The cover. whole thing? I read it. Okay. Covered it. Okay, good. 
<laughs> we're gonna if we're gonna refer books, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna do yeah, one. There could have been a real spoiler alert on that uh, other one that we missed. <laughs> so the Medici effect is this idea that you know, uh, basically in Medici Italy, uh, you know, like the 15th century Italy, you've got basically this Medici family who had all this money and they brought in people from around the world. But you had like poets, scholars, okay, architects, engineers, doctors, mm -hmm. like all these different fields that they brought in, sculptors and. And what happened was the Renaissance began there. Oh. And, like, and it's because it was the intersection of ideas. That's, mm -hmm. that's where innovation happens. So that all being a segue to the reason I, I actually took like, you know, 60 or 70 of the highlights of Time's uh -huh. uh, innovation list. Okay. And I just went through them with everybody. Yeah. And we talked about some of them. Some people had used some of them. And, um, and I said, why do we do this? It's because of the Medici effect. Like just knowing about thinking about what other innovations are going on right now might inspire us to innovate on what we're working on. Right, because I get the advantage of that idea yeah. that now is able to catapult me yeah. to that next level and apply what that specific thing I was considering. Yeah, you don't even know. You don't right. even know how it's inspiring you sometimes, but like just knowing that that tech is out there, that right. innovation's out there, you, you might instinctively start incorporating some of those ideas into what you're doing next. Great point. So that's, I think that's, you know, as far as the trends, I think it's really important to know what's going on. I, I like to do that every year. So no, good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, number seven. Uh, so this is a, a good metaphor for our, our part of the country for hockey. Yeah. Skate to where the puck is heading, not to where it was. And if you yeah. have ever played hockey, you will not do very well if you skate to where the puck was. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, uh, you know, for those that haven't played that, uh, yeah, soccer, same way, soccer, same thing, football, or, uh, you know, your yep. colleagues. Yep. Yeah. Um, you gotta go where the ball's going. Right. And so that, you know, what that means is again, coming back to that product vision, either being completely unrealistic vaporware or, or in this case, I think he's actually referencing more of it being too conservative or, oh. you know, being me considering, you know, yeah. all these different factors, the trends, the market your competition be aware not necessarily copy and you need to be going towards what that vision looks like and i i think that immediately goes into number eight. Oh gosh yeah so yeah go ahead be stubborn on vision but flexible on the details mm -hmm. yeah i think yeah just just knowing that you you have to be adaptable right they, you know all this stuff that we've been talking about and and gosh yeah with these these um these roadmaps that are created like what you know, you're in the middle of it, and then some new revolutionary tech right. that comes out, and you have to say, where does this fit into our vision? Is our vision too small? Let's adapt. Like, or maybe our vision needs to be bigger. Do we need to pull off a certain number of people to do what's called a discovery pivot? Yeah, and go after. And this was a line that was, I guess, coined by Jeff Bezos, um, who's had some success in in his career. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wonder if very early on, and I've not read any books on Jeff Bezos, so I won't pretend to quote him, but <laughs> I wonder too, I mean, obviously, you know, being in tech for a while, knowing his story of like selling CDs and books out of his garage. Yeah. I mean, did he, I mean, I think he had a vision of being wildly successful in the e-commerce space, but I don't think he could have ever imagined what Amazon is doing now between, you know, it's hardware uh, capacity with That's giant, with Alexa, with AWS, which, Started as a mistake. I love that story. We'll maybe have to go over that one time. People, uh, people may not know AWS, Amazon Web Services, is 
their largest. Oh, look at that. <laughs> Bezos is listening to us Bezos. right now. Bezos. <laughs> we got to keep that in this podcast. <laughs> we, will, we will absolutely keep that in. Our commercial break brought to you by uh, Automation Through Sonos. Automation Through Sonos. Oh, that was brilliant. Yeah. So you were talking about AWS. Oh, it was, it was, like you said, it was not their intention. They were literally just building out a... They needed infrastructure. They needed infrastructure. They're like, shoot, man, we, we, we got to stop paying for this. This is expensive. And the next thing you know, like they're like, well, we have it. We may as well allow other people to use this. Yeah. And the next thing you know, this thing is is makes more money than the rest of what Amazon does. Yeah, it is. It is by far <laughs> out, out. Well, yeah, because of, yeah, it's a cloud technology. So uh, again, you know, if, if Bezos kind of put his foot down and no, like our business is we're going to be selling, you know, more CDs than anybody, which by the way, I don't know the last time anyone's bought a CD, but, have that. um, yeah. you know, he could have really been a victim of his own success and kept himself yeah. from going forward. But yeah. anyway, uh, all right, the last two, let's, let's wrap these up. So, um, principles of product vision, number nine, realizing that any product vision is a leap of faith. Yeah. And absolutely. Well, I think, you know, recognize, I mean, I, I feel like that just makes a ton of sense to me because yep. we we all think, okay, you know, if we do this, like if we put this in this down, like what you know, what what could it go what could go wrong? What could change? What could happen? And and it's a lot of years and right. So yeah, you have to but you have to kind of make some decisions and hopefully those who've made these decisions on our vision are well educated, well informed. Or at least learn from mistakes they made previously, yeah. which is also well-informed. Yeah. And then I like number 10, honestly, it says evangelize, evangelize continuously and relentlessly. Uh, um, because honestly, that goes back to number one. You've got to start with the why, Yeah. you know, and if you can't explain that to people in a way that communicate, communicates what it is that you're, you're chasing, because let's face it, not everyone has the ability to retain or hold or think deeply on what that vision might be. But if you can't get them on board once it's once it's ready to you know be be consumed at a at a public facing level amongst your your team and your peers, you know I think you're in a really you know you're in a bad spot. You're gonna have a lot of difficulty with competing priorities because yeah. at the end of the day we only have so much time. And if we're working at odds with one another, that's horrible. But if we're working on parallel things that isn't aligned to our vision. Now we're missing product roadmap milestones. We're not getting stuff that we need done. We can't reach out to others to get help to to achieve um, those particular goals. So yeah, and and as we were talking about roadmap planning a couple episodes back, we used the the story of the the prototype. I mean, most of that was achieved through the evangelization of the idea. Yeah, the prototype in comparison took, I would say, less than five percent of the total effort to get to market. Yeah, as the continual social evangelization over and over and over. And I mean, by the time I got done getting it on the roadmap, I mean, I could sit down for an hour meeting and, and give it with no notes because it was just, it was repetition. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, um, that's kind of the product vision section. And then he gets into product strategy, which is really how we, how we actually go about executing mm-hmm. and, um, so, you know, like that's the manager, right? Like if the vision is the leadership, the the strategy is the management, uh, the, getting it across the field. Like, how do you, how do you move it forward? So right. 
Um, we won't spend a lot of time on this, but there are some principles that I thought were, were pretty handy. Um, you know, like focusing on one market or persona at a time, I think, yep. uh, it's a good, a good way to do it. Um, making sure you're aligned with the business strategy, uh, you know, your product strategy and your business strategy, they align. Um, well, and that, and, and I'll just, I'll interrupt going back to number one real quick. So the target market and the persona, he's not saying your, your business only has one persona, but think about it this way. He might be saying something like the way that our company is going to move forward in a particular way with our vision to meet certain outcomes that we need, which at the end of the day is going to be increasing overall revenue might be that we're going to be focusing more on, um, the first phase of a customer adopting our, our product and coming into the application and maybe not as much on the power user. Mm -hmm. I think that's an example of where we would say, right. like, right. you know, people are getting over the goal line to adopting your product. Take a, like, take a step back. What happens after they sign that contract? How do you welcome them into your platform or your service um, or application? And and you may need to say, hey, you, power users are fine right now. Like they're getting everything they need. Um, you know, they're 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 hungry to adopt things very early on. We actually need to help this other persona. And I think that's where we've mentioned this previously too. You know, mapping out the critical user journeys of your personas. Yeah. What are those yeah. jobs to be done that he or she needs to achieve? to meet success, but don't try and do all of it at once. You know, take that one, that one particular persona, or if you're moving into a market space, you know, certainly with our FinTech background, we saw going from, you know, SEC to, you know, Sarbanes-Oxley compliance or all those other really just exciting uh, topics to get into around FinTech, but you're not doing, you know, you're going to focus on one new area and you're going to keep the other one pointed straight and moving forward. Yeah. Versus doing everything at once. And so anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. And then he just wraps up, you know, things we've talked about already. Uh, you know, make sure your product strategy aligns with sales and marketing. I think that's often a, a yeah. missed, a missed okay. thing. Yeah. Um, obsessing over your customers, not your competitors. I, I think we've, uh, I think we've kind of worn that topic out at this mm -hmm. point. And then of course, communicating that strategy across the organization. So huge, yeah. huge stuff. Um, and then I like where he starts to get into, you know, some of the objectives and yeah, the OKR technique. Mm -hmm. We've talked about it, but just to kind of the quick 10,000 foot view, like you, you set your objective and then your key results mm -hmm. on that. And that's the OKR system. And, you know, it's really, it's a neat way to approach your, your business objectives, your product objectives, as well as personal objectives. And you can see, you can set OKRs for your professional life and your personal life. Right. I did this one year when we had um, we had this OKR specialist come in and talk about it, and I yeah. I created OKRs that year for my life. And I was like, all right, it's fine. It's a little rigid for. I I like you know the end every year. I like to create, like I have a different personal approach. I okay. kind of do. What are top five things I want to learn? What are top five things I want to do? Mm -hmm. What are the top five things I want to keep? And what are the top five things I want to just let go? And and I kind of do that every year. Okay. Uh, with a friend of mine. So it's coming up in two months. I got to start looking at my list. That's right. How close am I to these 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 fives? You know, and how did I do? But I think you know, doing something like that in our lives is really important. Um, Absolutely. In the OKR approach is is fine. I, the one quote I liked in this section was uh, George Patton: "Never tell people how to do things. Tell them what to do, and they will surprise you with their in in ingenuity." Right, and by what to do is explain the why on the goal you're marching towards, not not the what 
they should be doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, wait, that didn't read right. But yeah. No, I read right. But you're yeah. telling, you're not telling them how they're going to do it. Right. You're just saying, here's your, here's your vision. Let's go for it. Yeah. You know, and, and, just letting it happen. and that could be a number of things. I mean, yeah. specifically in the UX field, it could be about increasing overall NPS. It could be about gaining traction in a, a new particular industry or, or market space mm -hmm. that you've been wanting to go after. It could be, you know, improving um, retention and, and limiting churn. Um, you know, someone, you know, and I don't think a designer ever wants to be told how to do that. I think they just need to be told, like, we're underperforming with customer yeah. satisfaction in this area. Right. I need to understand as a business leader what the design team or the product org is going to do to course correct. Right. Now, he could come in and say, well, I think you should go build this idea that nobody really wants, and we have to think the discovery process on that. But, yeah, yeah I mean, I think... The embrace the idea not the yeah being told exactly how to go about it i, I will say that there is uh, there are exceptions to this depending on where someone's at so maybe they don't actually have certain mm -hmm. things right there's been quite a few times that i've been in a situation where i'm i'm realizing i'm talking with somebody or i'm watching how they're doing something and i'm realizing yep you know for whatever reason they don't actually go they don't have a good approach or they don't have the skills to accomplish something. And that's when I take a step back and go, you know, educate, you know, here's, here's actually how you would do this, or here's a course on this. Right. And so helping them to level up mm -hmm. without saying, okay, you now have to do it this way, but just saying, look, okay, you know, it's still your, yours to do what you want, but let me, let me tell you about people who have been successful. will will we'll do it this way. And, I, and it could be something as hard, like as a, like this is how you would set up a prototype to, to function and have this role. Oh, I see. That could be like one thing, but it could also be literally like, here's some better time management effects. Like you seem to be always be really, really rushing around like a chicken with his head cut off and like you're always late and or, or, or like just on time, barely. Right. You know, I had, I had, a, I had a, a person say, you know, deliver this thing like, you know, working on Sunday and it was needed to be done Monday and like just, Got it in and said, oh, you can call me last minute in, in their name, you know? And I was like, well, let's not call you that. Like, let's just recognize that this was a one-off and we're not going to make this a habit. We're going to actually grow and we're going to use some techniques to yeah. to not let this happen anymore. Yeah, absolutely awesome. They came so, through at the last minute and got it done. But yeah, we, we like if we're doing that on every project, yeah, what's the symptom that's causing that? Exactly. So, yeah. no, well, well said. Well, I think we should skip forward. Let's jump a couple chapters as we wrap up part yeah. three, and um, let's finally get to what we uh, we teased out in the product evangelism. The evangelism. So my wife was actually asking me. She's like, "You're using the word evangelism with work." I'm like, "You know, it's kind of funny how that that term has taken off. You know, it used to be like a churchy word, yeah, and now it's a word that's in the tech world has just taken off. Same with missionary. You know, this kind of a missionary mercenary, yeah." Yeah, and language. Guy Kawasaki is quoted uh, very, you know, in the very first sentence of this chapter, you know, when we talk about what what is product evangelism, he says, quote, it's it's selling the dream, end quote. Selling the dream, yeah. So yeah. Help, helping helping everyone, internal stakeholders, the board, yeah. what have you, understand what that future is going to look like and then inspiring them, yeah, right, by understanding the why, to get on board and participate in helping that future become a, a right. reality. So I think, I think, you know, and then as he goes through, he's got his 10 things again. Uh, you know, you don't have to read all 10, but like, I think 
you, you know what what these ten tell me, and this is a this is a job of frankly, I think UX is is it's, has a really really important role in in, in product org for this product evangelism, and Absolutely. to at the very least contribute to this, but most likely to actually be one of those people who's doing this, right? And you know, I I've been in meetings with you know hundreds of people on these Zoom calls where I've piped in and said a few things to just help people to get a piece of a vision, right? Uh, you know, you know, and you can imagine with hundreds of people on a call, there's there's probably a lot of people with a lot of different priorities and things on their mind, and just just that taking that moment, that thirty seconds, whatever I took, you know, in this one last one I was thinking of, to just make sure that that this thing that I am contributing to that's important in my perspective right that is communicated and that people get a capture caps a little bit of glimpse of that right be excited because yeah here's what that means yeah. or if we do X and it's I don't know something heavily engineered and maybe not is uh is understood by the entire audience like breaking that down right. and making sure right. you understand if we do this here's what it's going to unlock across the org for everyone here's how it's going to affect this these people these people these people yeah, so, yeah. yeah no really really good that's a good call out yeah um, and again yeah you, you're right i mean these are these are good kind of mantras a lot of them overlap you know everything from making sure we continue to share that vision etc yeah and and uh Buddy, and we won yeah so so yeah the first is first one using a prototype i think use a prototype is, is the way he puts it and so i think you know what that looks like is it's a visual way of explaining showing right here's what we're thinking right it doesn't mean that this prototype is is high fidelity it doesn't mean that it's like a full-on interactive whatever but it could just literally be a few screens of here's how this could work yeah so, it, could be a, it could be a user flow even yeah i mean it could just explain the the tracer bullet so to speak of, of how someone goes from a to b yeah and, and and really the problem is you know most people are are not seeing the forest through the trees they're right. seeing the trees and so this is this is helping them to go oh this is where that fits in this is where all these trees fit into the forest so um and then the second one share the pain i think to me you know that's we've already kind of started talking about that yep. but that's it like just like you start there with the problem statements and the pain points and 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 you know, all of this is how you tell a good story. You know, as an author, I can tell you right now, you, you create this, you know, tension right away. Mm -hmm. And now people want to know where is this headed, right? Right. And you get that interest by starting there. Like, here's the pain point, and now here's the vision. Right. And then you start doing this and sharing your learnings generously. So that kind of gets us through the first, the first, you know, of his points there. But like, you just got to keep, keep sharing this and do it a lot. Um, you know, sharing your sharing uh, and doing these demos, and and so, um, you know, I, without going through all these, I think it's just like being that person who's willing to to spend a lot of time getting your team involved, adapt the the vision, um, give people credit, just yep, you know, spending time with the team. Um, yeah, agreed. And I don't, I think the funny enough, the prototype one is maybe not sitting as easily with me as I, I thought. Only in the sense that, you know, I, I've been a part of sharing out the product roadmaps and um, especially forward-facing uh, versions. So maybe, you know, one or two quarters ahead from what we might be working on right now. 
And and yeah, we could maybe argue that that is a prototype, but sharing out that roadmap with um, uh, a group of executives, uh, your especially your executive champions of your customers, and giving them enough to that they can get excited. You know, he talks a lot about you know learn how to show with enthusiasm. Um, I don't think either of us necessarily have a, a struggle uh, with that with that with that particular principle, but. You know, sitting down and having a, a one-hour share out with you know your your champions at a particular a company that's using your software, and and telling them that like, hey, we've heard your like we've heard about your pain. We're gonna you know we're not gonna be solving all of it, right? Because we're not just going after Me Too features. But here's where we're going, and actually getting them excited about the innovation that's coming, and then also being there before anything's ever been built to receive and hear things that maybe they're like are immediately responding with um, is, is a great way to, you know, not only help make, make your customers feel listened to, um, but also maybe, you know, especially if you've been working on a, I mean, I think the last product vision I worked on was, uh, was probably a four to six month process. Yeah. Um, you know, it'd be silly for me to say I didn't come out of that with some bias uh, and blind yeah. spots yeah. that yeah. I just took for granted because I'd been staring at this particular vision for that yeah. amount of time. Yeah. And so, you know, by sharing it with both those inside and outside, you know, being able to kind of unpack, um, I don't know, those missed opportunities is huge. And I think yeah. core in how you're evangelizing what you're doing. Well, absolutely. Absolutely, Jason. I think the, uh, as, as you were talking, I'm thinking, yeah, and is, I'm doing this again right now. This is <laughs> the new. It never ends. It does as well. <laughs> I just got through doing it yeah. successfully, I feel. Um, and it, help communicating, you know, certain pain points and like, why are we going this direction? Right. Kind of thing. And now as our company is growing and changing and people's roles are shifting, mm -hmm. I'm now doing it again. But now the one, I, the vision I had created before is like a little too small. It's like, now I have to recraft the whole thing to take on a little bit of a larger umbrella, more of the company, more of what we do. And really uh it's like you're just uh, these things can be in flux right they really can <laughs> yeah and they, they should be fluid i mean i always i think a good gut check for anyone especially on the design side of the fence is have i gone so far down this particular avenue towards an idea that maybe i feel very strongly about that if we were to pivot or go in a different direction that you know i've kind of backed myself into a corner design wise or, or my own ego, yeah. or, you know, I think those are all, you know, good questions to kind of ask yourself as you're, you're working with leaders in product as a leader of design alongside with the parameters of what's possible on the engineering side of the fence. And, yeah. you know, if you have enthusiastic, motivated professionals in each of those areas, then, you know, you can basically go do whatever, you know, you want because mm -hmm. everyone's going to be really excited and and the answer might be, well, I don't, I don't know how we're going to get there today, but you know, this is a hell of a vision to go chase after, and you know, setting people off to, you know, either do some proof of concepts or or some other things around how they might contribute from their area of responsibility, um, you know, then then frees you up on the UX design mm -hmm. uh, side of the fence to to do your best work, which is hopefully talking with the customers, building things that we can break quickly. Mm -hmm. um, so hopefully down the road we're not releasing things that we have to walk back yeah yeah 
Yeah, there's a lot, a lot to it. I mean, there's uh, there's just so many steps to this process, and there's a lot to keep in mind. But I think at the core of this is just having that that really pinpointed awareness of where we headed and how are we communicating it. Like just keeping keeping kind of that north star. Right. I think you know we call it like here's our north star metric. Here's right. here's our north star where we're headed, and keeping the ship on track. And uh, you know. If you shoot for the moon, maybe you'll hit the you know the nearest mountain, right? So I suppose. <laughs> or it'll just plunk in the ocean. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, when is it going to go about it? Uh, well, I think that brings us up to uh, to speed for part three. Again, thanks to everyone for joining us on episode number nine of the U Experts podcast. Reminder that you can support the podcast by subscribing, and please do provide your questions for an upcoming AMA. Those questions can be set to questions at uexperts.info. And lastly, as you go out to design your own future, remember to make it a better experience for all. Ciao.